On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This is Innovation and Leadership, where we interview Navy SEALs, venture capitalists, pro athletes, best-selling authors, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of high achievers as we can get to come on the show. Today's episode is going to be from our mini-series that we created with Corporate Alliance, asking top CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs who have had very large exits specifically about their thoughts on leadership and people. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Amy, thanks for making time. Yeah, happy to be here. So you've done quite a few things and you're still doing quite a few things. Can you give us the list of what you're involved in these days? Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm the managing partner of Reese Capital, which is an angel investment firm. Um, I'm the co-director of the IPOP Foundation, which is a foundation that encourages young people to look at entrepreneurship as a pathway to becoming self-reliant. I write articles for Forbes and the Huffington Post, and I write a daily blog as well. And I serve on, I think, 13 boards of universities and um, different foundations and things like that. Yeah. Um, And can you give just a little bit of a background of the lead up to selling uh, your company, MediConnect Global, for Three hundred and seventy-seven million. Yeah, I'm happy to. So, I mean, I've been an, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 23 years old, um, and always been in the space of healthcare technology. That's you know, I I had worked in healthcare when I was young, and knew the space really well. So, just kind of stayed with that, and then learned the technology as we went. But um, MediConnect Global was a company that did health information exchange and medical record retrieval and analytics on record, medical records looking for patients with chronic conditions and problems like that. And it was a company that I formed and acquired three other companies and rolled those in and then later another one. And so that's how we became MediConnect Global and grew that business and then exited that in 2012. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so who, like, for people who aren't familiar with that industry, 
Who was your client and what, what were you doing for them? We had three different verticals that we serviced. We had life insurance companies that were looking to get medical data on people that were applying for medical insurance or for life insurance. Then we had lawyers, people that represented medical malpractice cases or pharmaceutical cases, and they needed the medical records on patients for the, the lawsuits. And then we represented health insurance companies. So we had a lot of the big health carriers like Humana and Aetna and different um, big health insurance plans like that that were looking for chronic conditions on patients. And, and what was special about you guys? Why did customers want you as opposed to a competitor? You know, I think cause our focus on customer service was not just lip service, if that makes sense. Um, I think we really tried hard to understand the needs of the customer and make sure that we were willing to do whatever was necessary to help them be successful in what they were doing. That was really our focus is if we could help the client succeed. You know, whether something was our fault or not, it was our problem, if it was their problem, if that makes sense. And we really wanted to just kind of go the extra mile for those customers. And I think that really made a huge competitive advantage for MediConnect. Sure. Um, you know, growing a company to that scale, you know, big American dream kind of exit, right? Um, what are some of the things that you think you guys did different that you were able to get to that level that maybe other folks in the space didn't do? Well, I think you have to, you know, growing any company is hard, right? I think especially as you bring in people, people is what make or break your company, the employees that you find and, and being able to retain those employees. And I think a lot of it was the culture that we built at MediConnect allowed us to get people on board and then retain them. And anytime you lose somebody, you lose so much intellectual property that goes with that person, you know, all the experiences they've had of the mistakes they've made and the lessons they've learned and the relationships they had both with coworkers as well as with customers. So for me, retaining an employee is really important. I'm, I'm just not a believer that you can just replace anybody, right? You, you can technically, but not really. You, you lose every time, and there's a ripple effect every time someone goes. So we really kind of focused on the culture of the company and making sure if we had happy employees, they would then turn around and treat customers better, and that gives you happy customers. And I think that gave us a big advantage. And, and how big was the staff when you started the acquisitions and how big at the sale? About 70 people when we first started rolling the companies together, and we grew to just under 2,000 people. I don't know the exact count we were, but it was, it was a lot of growth in a, just a you know, short number of years. Yeah. Um, thinking about leadership at that kind of scale, obviously your personal influence becomes less and less when there's so, much, you know, so many people to go around, right? Yeah. Um, what kind of advice would you have for other people who are maybe experiencing growth or other people who are, you know, they've got... 2,000 folks that they want to keep a culture. Yeah, you know, I learned some really valuable lessons that were really surprising, actually, as a leader. I, you know, as a leader, you try so many things to try to, you know, retain people. You try incentive plans and comp structures and all these things. And um, interestingly enough, what I learned is that the number one thing you can do to keep those people, to be able to scale the business and to have everybody understand who you are and what you believe in is to communicate for yourself. If you as a leader aren't communicating with your people, especially when you begin to grow, you know, when you're small, you know everybody. You can see everybody in the elevator and know their names and what's going on with their families. But as you grow, it's impossible. And as MediConnect grew, it became more and more frustrating to me because I would hear, you know, the rumor mill say, well, Amy thinks this or Amy thinks that. And I'd be like, oh, that's not at all what I think. What are you talking about? But the people that were close to me that worked with me closely every day, they knew my values. They knew who I was. But the further out you got, the less people know you as a leader. And if you don't communicate, someone will do it for you. And it's likely not going to be what you think because, you know, to people, knowledge is power, right? So if I'm an employee and I can pretend I know what the boss thinks, now my coworkers think I have all this power and knowledge. So you end up getting these little gossip channels and these little cancers that can grow in a company really quickly. And as a leader, you've got to get in front of that. And so, you know, in 2010, I actually started blogging every single day to my internal employees, um, 
it was kind of jokingly, we called it the tweet tour peeps, right? Because it was going to just be a little tweet every night, but it really turned into a blog that I did every single night. And it was for the entire company. And I didn't miss a day, five days a week. Cause I knew if I missed a day, they would never get in the habit of checking it every day and they wouldn't trust. Um, but I, but I didn't make the blog. It, it wasn't like one of these, I'm the boss and I'm, you know, important. And this is the industry and blah, 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 you know, professional yada, yada. It was very real and it was very kind of raw. It was more, you know, I make mistakes too. This is what I'm learning every day. Um, these are the things I wish I would have done different. And the more open and authentic I was, and just, just a real person, right? The more I let them see that I'm just this normal person, the more the employees got behind me and really started to rally and felt more engaged with the company. And it was really kind of a incredible experience for me because it was so humbling to go all these things I spent money on over the years as a boss trying to like get everyone on board. And the one thing that got them on board was simply talking to them and being very real and open. And so that actually really had an impact on the growth of the business and the culture and the way the employees were there to support me and help me to succeed. So I'm just thinking about leaders, especially, you know, an organization of bigger, you know, midsize, mm-hmm. right? Um, we live in a society where, you know, having the badge of I'm really busy is almost like a badge of honor for, mm-hmm. for a lot of folks. And um, you think about the facts, people would have to give up some micromanagement or some something to be able to make time to do something like that. And so if someone was to say, oh, that's great for you, I'm, I'm just too busy mm-hmm. to do something like that, what would your response be? I actually didn't have time during the day, so I did it every night in bed. So my husband hates my laptop because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was constantly blogging at night. But, you know, the, the thing you have to remember is taking the time to do something like that. What it saved me in the time I would have to do to repair problems that went on or to fix those little kind of pods of gossip channel that go on in a company and they destroy, you look at any big corporation, 99% of the time, what brings it down is people in the company that started little, you know, negativity or whatever. Um, and it just spreads really quickly. And so you can think that it's time consuming, but the result of it and the time you're saving by retaining people, getting them on board, the support they'll give you it in droves makes up for it. So it, it's a, you know, cost benefit analysis. It really does turn out to be very effective use of your time to do that communication. It will save you a million other fires you'll have to put out later. Kind of sounds like a, an ounce of prevention or a pound of yes, cure, huh? Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about the kind of struggles every business owner goes through. And especially as you get much larger, um, you know, before we started today, you were talking about a couple of mentors that you felt like mm-hmm. were a big benefit to your life. Can we pick one of them and, and talk about them? Oh, I've had such amazing mentors. I've been very blessed on that regard because I've been surrounded by some of the most incredible people to follow. Um, you know, when I was younger in business, um, two people that are known in Utah, Tim Layton and Fraser Bullock, both now with Sorensen Capital, um, which is a venture fund. But uh, those guys came in when I was still very young and mentored me and taught me a lot about just focusing my efforts as a CEO on the areas to go deep in the areas I brought the most value and to stay kind of thin on the other areas where I knew it, but that I had people I could trust to go deep on those areas. And, you know, especially when you're doing a startup, you always feel like you have to be everything to everyone. Like you have to like, you have to be the best at everything. Right. And so having someone say, listen, it's okay that that's not your biggest focus. Don't spend your time in areas where you don't bring the most value. 
and saying it's okay to just focus in on a couple of those areas and still be in charge of everything as, as the CEO and founder, because that's what you need to do. But, but to really use your talents in the areas that'll make the most money for the company in the end. And that was such valuable advice to me, especially when mentors do it in a way that doesn't come off like they're naysaying or being negative or critical. It's more like they're saying, Hey, have you thought about the fact this is a really, you know, successful way to do it? And, and knowing how to kind of mentor you in a way that you don't feel so put off. And it's really lucky early on to have people like that um, as my mentors. But then well, even the board members later were incredible people. Yeah. So let, let's talk specific. So uh, Fraser Bullock, you know, guy from the early days of Bain Capital with Mitt Romney, you know, what, what's an example of like some story where you feel like associating with people of that level made the difference for you? Can you think well, of- it was the humility, right? Like if anyone that's met Frazier knows, Frazier is a guy who's as genuine as they come. There's no pretense. There's no putting on airs. Incredibly successful person, right? But he doesn't treat anybody like they're not his absolute equal in every way. And he just makes you feel like you matter. And that taught me a lot about the importance of treating everybody in that way because here's this man that, you know, a lot of people in his shoes would, would kind of look down on people or act like, oh, you're beneath me. He never did that ever to me. And that meant so much to me on the receiving end as a young entrepreneur that it really kind of guided my future for how I was going to treat others. Interesting. Um, and did you mostly grow the company organically? Did you take on investment for the acquisitions or how did you? When I formed MetaConnect Global, you know, the two, the actually all three of the companies I was acquiring in the beginning to pull into it were profitable companies. So it, it put us in a good position. We didn't have to go out and raise a ton of, of venture money. Um, and so I, it was, it was an easier position to be in. Let's put it that way than when you're just first starting out. Right. Um, and so we were very lucky not to have to raise very much over the years. And the people that we did raise from were people that, you know, we had a lot of respect from and, and it was great to take money from them because they brought more than just money to the table. They brought, you know, experience and wisdom and, and humility. They're just good, good people that were yeah. fun to work with. Also, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Skillshare. They're doing a promo for us. For everybody listening to the show, it's skillshare.com slash leader, where they're going to let anybody get two months of access to their 18,000 classes for just 99 cents uh, at that code, skillshare.com slash leader. And I think for me, one of the reasons that I like Skillshare and, and probably like the classes that are most attractive to me are the really high credibility ones. Like you can learn email marketing from MailChimp. I mean, these are the guys that make $500 million a year sending email out for their customers. They've got the data. They've, they're legitimate experts on the subject. And as I'm getting advice, I know that I should be building my list better than I am. That's the kind of people that I want to get my advice from, and, and you can get it right there on those classes. One last time, uh, if you want that 99 cents for the two months, it's skillshare.com slash leader. Well, um, I want to ask a question, but before we do, this blogging has obviously progressed. Now you're writing for Forbes. You've got mm-hmm. your blog still. Give us the URL for anybody who wants to check out your blog now. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's Amy Reese Anderson, spelled A-M-Y-R-E-E-S-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Dot com um, forward slash blog is, or you can just go to Amy Reese Anderson and pick the blog site. And I post every day. And then the ones that are going to be posted to other places like Forbes, it takes you on the link to get to those as well. Very cool. So um, thinking about now specifically here at the angel firm, um, can you talk about maybe lessons that you couldn't, you know, as you're doing your work today, mm-hmm. you couldn't have learned 
any other way than having had the experience that you had? Well, it's been, it's been awesome to have the experience of having been an entrepreneur first and then being an investor because you come at it from the entrepreneur's perspective, right? Like you understand the struggles they're having, the hard things they're going through. And, and had I not lived that, I don't, you wouldn't have the same empathy for the entrepreneur that you have, which I think helps me be a better investor and a better advisor to people because I understand their pain, so to speak. Um, and that's the kind of thing. There's some of those things you can read about in books and take classes on, but unless you've lived it, it is hard to really put yourself in somebody's shoes. And I think that's been a huge blessing to me with what we're doing here. And so, um, give, give an example, you know, as you guys are deal sourcing, you're looking at things, what's your mandate or what, what do you look at? What, who, who should be sending their stuff into you guys? To yeah. You know, interview? number one, we look at the person, right? So you can have a really bad idea and a great person will actually make it into a good company. Or you can have a really great idea and a bad person and they're going to destroy that idea. So for me, first and foremost, I'm looking at the person who's the entrepreneur. And, and I don't want an entrepreneur that thinks they know everything, right? Because nobody does. I don't know everything. You know, I've had a lot of experience in my life, but I don't know everything. And so when someone comes in and they have every answer and nobody's ever going to be as good as them or they're not worried about there's no competitors and everything's perfect, right? That That is a huge red flag to me. Like I want the person who... Um, is willing to kind of be like, you know what? Yeah, that does worry me. And I'm paying attention to that. I, I use the example sometimes of like my teenagers, right? When they were, my kids were teenagers, if they wanted to borrow my car and they said, Hey, I want to borrow your sports car and don't worry about it. It's going to be fine, mom. I got this. No problem. You know, I can handle it. I'm immediately going to be stressed out and worried. But if my kids came to me and said, Hey, I want to borrow the car look, I know it's an expensive car. I know I need to be extra careful when I'm driving it. I know it's not just about me. It's about the other drivers on the road and how they're going to drive. So I'd be extra, you know, vigilant to make sure I'm watching for that. Then in my mind, I'm going, Oh, okay, good. They've thought through these risks. They understand they're there. And I want that same. And so I'm going to trust them with my keys. Right. But I want that same thing from the entrepreneurs when they come to ask for investment money. I want someone who's not going to say, Oh yeah, there's no competitors. I want someone who says, yeah, there is competitors. And here's what I worry about, about those competitors. And, and these are things I'm going to be watching it's because that gives me the comfort that they are trustworthy and that they can, they've really thought through these things and there's no arrogance there. That's, that's for me what I look for in the deals that we're taking a look at. Yeah. Um, obviously you've got the medical technology background. Are there sectors that you favor more? Is there technology? Obviously I love to, I mean, technology is like my forte, right? User experience and, and service-based tech companies. That's really the areas I get the most excited about. I've, I look at anything that's interesting, right? But those are the areas where I think for me, I feel like it's exciting because I know I can add the most value and obviously healthcare technology is awesome because so much background there. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk more about, you know, um, the advantage of having the right people in your life for you becoming a good leader. We beforehand, we were talking a couple of times about someone who's had a big influence in your life. Let's talk about your dad. What, what do you feel like you gained by being your dad's daughter? You know, my dad was FBI. And so in his world, everything is black and white. There's right and wrong. There's no middle ground. And he raised us that way. And so his example of like, there was never a question for my dad of what is the right choice here. Like he always knew he had his value system set and every decision was easy for him because his values were so set. And so having that as an example in my life, it really kind of raised me to go, you know, there just is no other option. It's like right and wrong, no other option. And that really helped me to kind of focus in. I think when you really do know your core values and you know 
what those are, every decision is so much easier because you've already made the choice, right? You've already set those values. And he, he's just an incredible example of that and worth work ethic. I mean, I don't ever remember my dad missing a day of work almost. I think that I can think of one or two times in the entire time growing up that I remember seeing my dad at home and it was like a shocker. He just, he's the get it done kind of guy. Don't make excuses. Don't whine about it. Just go do it. And that helped me tremendously growing up. You know, it's interesting. I, as a 10 year old, I moved from a city of a million to a little farm town of 3000 and, uh, got to move four doors down from my grandpa. And he was kind of that for me. And, um, I'm interested in why you think that that work ethic isn't as common as it could be. You know, part of it's our fault. If I'm totally honest as parents today, you know, growing up, it was like, I had to get a job when I was young. Like we were out babysitting at 11 and 12 and I had to get a worker's permit at 13. And it was just expected in my family that you would go get a job. And if you wanted anything extra, you were paying for it. And I remember thinking, you know, someday I'm going to make it, my kids don't have to do this. Right. And what a disservice to my kids, because that's what made me into who I am. And I think a lot of the parents, my generation of parents, right. My kind of peers, we, we kind of want to give our kids more than we had, not realizing that what we didn't have is what made us who we are. And I think it's really messed up a lot of the the generation because they just aren't expected to work. You know, it's kind of like in parents, we, we do everything for our kids. Like we're willing to just, you know, take on all the responsibility for them and that's just not helping them. And I have to constantly remind myself, don't do this for your kids if they can do it for themselves, because it is, it's like, you just want to do it all. And I think that's, that's a huge problem today that we've created ourselves. So I, I blame us more than the kids. <laughs> sure. So thinking about someone who wants to up their game in that level, do you have any like like I'm a real audiobook nerd. We talked about, you know, yeah. I, I'm really into books about, you know, tier one special ops guys or, um, like, uh, I love that the stuff Stoics, too. <laughs> you know, like, um, I don't know if you know, this guy, Ryan holiday has been writing kind of more modern interpretations of taking the stoic philosophers from a hundred years ago about, <laughs> you know, like basically there's what's in your control and what's out of your control and yeah. quit wasting time on what's outside of your control. Do you have any go-to books or anything that you feel like helps you or oh gosh I love books so I'm an avid reader I love to read um whenever I had free time though instead of reading kind of more the entertainment books I was always reading the motivational books or business life lesson books and people's experiences and um there's a there's a book called the four obsessions of an extraordinary executive that's a really great book that talks about like what you have to hone in on and focus in on in leadership and um, I love the book Who Moved My Cheese. It's just such an easy, so I love anything with big print and pictures, but um, I love that book because it's just about when things go wrong or not the way you wanted, you just got to move forward and you can't keep hanging on to it and wasting your time. And books like that, I think have really had an impact on me because there's some of them are simple books, right? But they really teach an effective lesson. And I love that. So I'm a big believer in audiobooks too. Like when you're driving in the car, anything motivational that's going to teach you or kind of help pick up your spirits because it's just a better use of your time. And that's, that's one of those free times you actually are alone with some time to think. You know, it's, it's interesting, this chance for self-development, right? Any, any advice for leaders out there who want to inspire more of their staff to choose self-development instead of like, okay, everybody go to this room for the PowerPoint for Friday. Yeah. Right. People who wanted to like have it become more of a way of life or just, you know, we actually had a, a little internal library at MetaConnector. I would get the books that had influenced my life and impacted me and we would let people check them out and take them home. And it was just a way to kind of, it's almost like a doing your own little book club in the company where you can help people get excited about it. And we also started doing brown bag lunch Fridays where we would bring in a speaker that was really good. I, for me, you know, people that joke about, Oh, the motivational speakers are all just fluff or whatever. I loved Brian Tracy. I don't know if you've listened to any of his stuff. And, um, 
just phenomenal public speaker, right? And he really teaches some really effective principles about success. And those kind of things do pick you up, especially when you're having a down day. It's really nice to, you know, everyone will join in with you and be a negative, but it's just nice to have some positive voices in, in your ear that will like say, hey, quit whining about it. Just get up and get going. And so I actually think there's huge value to those. And if you can, number one, lead by example, or you let people know openly, like I would talk openly in my blog about listening to Zig Ziglar and any of those kind of more positive speakers. And I think as a leader showing that you're doing it, but then also make it accessible to people because, you know, maybe they can't afford to go buy the same number of books or whatever. So things like that help. Yeah. You know, um, my, my favorite Brian Tracy book is actually not motivational at all. It's uh, I don't know if you've ever read his book, Speak to Win. No. But it is just completely full of practical advice of, hey, after giving 10,000 speeches around the world, let me tell you how to deal with when you're nervous. If you lose your voice right before the talk, oh, how to negotiate awesome. with to the hotel, like all these things. And uh, it's, it's, especially as a younger CEO, those were really valuable for me when I'm getting up in front, you know, a whole yeah. room full of guys my dad's age. And uh, just such practical, non-fluff, here, you know, here's what I found out after 25 years of speaking constantly as a career. You yeah. Know? Um, interesting. Well, uh, we're, this about wraps it up for the first episode. Everybody, you know, please check in with, with episode two, but, um, let's, let's end off this, this one with, uh, what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever got? There's always failure. I know that sounds weird, but that was that we, we had a situation in one of my early companies where we had a deal that was supposed to close and last minute it fell through. And we were in a really bad spot financially because we had hired all these people and now this deal didn't come through. And we were all sitting around in a room and one of the employees, we were like, what are we going to do now? And one of the employees said, well, there's always failure. And we all kind of started to laugh because we thought that's true. Like worst case, okay, you fail, but life goes on, right? Like you can pick yourself up, you can keep going. And it's like, you know, it, it, don't let it stop you. Just the fact that there could be a failure ahead. Don't let it stop you. Just try anyway. Cause what's the worst case. Okay. You fail. And then what you're still alive. You could still keep going, you know? And I think that that's one of those things that was an impactful moment for me. Um, the other one I would say is my grandpa who's now passed away. was one of my dearest people I looked up to in life. And he shared a story with me when I was first starting my career and trying to figure out what to do and of his own personal experience where he was trying to make a decision. And he said, you know, it kind of came into his head, to just get up, do something, do anything, just make a start. And that advice was huge for me because so often we sit and try to figure out, you know, all the facts first. We want to know every detail before we make any kind of a move and we can get into this over analysis mode or just never, you know, sometimes the wrong decision is better than no decision. And so he really kind of taught me, you know what, if you really want to figure your life out, get up and start moving in a direction because that will lead you somewhere else if it's not meant to be but by not moving at all it's like god can't drive a parked car kind of a thing keep moving you got to be doing something yourself and, and putting the you know the gas into it to get it going so that's the other advice i'd say that's excellent advice i uh you know there's a stanford professor named bj fogg right now who came up with this theory of tiny habits of like you don't have to be a really disciplined person if you can just get started you know yes. you can have something that triggers you to do something small yeah or like UCLA, um, it's the little habits that make the big ones, right? Right. You know, uh, John Wooden, you know, such yeah. a famous basketball Great quotes, coach. Yeah. Right? Um, he used to have this card in his wallet, apparently that was like seven tiny little things that he would do every day. And it was like, read one verse from the Bible. I don't know, do one push up. Yep. And it was this idea of like, if I get all the way down to do one push up, I'm probably going to do more. Yeah. But it's not so intimidating to just get down and do one. Yeah. You know, and it's so, the habit It's just getting in the habit of it. But it, it's interesting, this kind of like, you know, 
the whole Newtonian physics things of things that are stagnant tend to stay stagnant. Yep. Things that are in motion tend to stay in motion. And like this idea of from your grandpa of like, just get like almost kind of like get going before you're ready and you'll figure it out. Yeah. Is that Cause fair? that's, that's really, if you think about it, it's when you're moving forward in a direction that the opportunities open up. Right. And so, I mean, perfect example, you talked about my dad, he was going to go to dental school. If you met my dad, you would laugh thinking he was going to be a dentist. Cause that's like terrifying. <laughs> Cause he's like the serious kind of stoic guy. Right. But he was on his way to dental school and the FBI recruited him. Like he thought he had a direction. Right. And then this opportunity came up that led him in a different direction, which was perfect for him. But you had to like, the fact is he was moving when it happened. And in the business um, community, especially with entrepreneurs, we have so many entrepreneurs that they talk about these great ideas, but then they don't implement them. They just, they wait and wait. And well, I want to make sure everything's perfect. Well, just start. Cause guess what? Even if you thought you had it perfect, you're going to learn 10 things that change it where you're going to find out, well, that wasn't so perfect. Right. But you don't learn those until you're actually doing it. And that's when the lessons will start to come and you'll start to see different opportunities open up and different directions you might go. I love it. Well, let's end here for part one of the episode. One more time, give us your, your blog. Yeah, it's, it's Amy Reese Anderson, spelled A-M-Y-R-E-E-S-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com forward slash blog. Love it. Okay, everybody, tune back in. We're going to get more of this. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.